Hey there, Misfits. This is Kate. And I'm Emily. Oh, we nailed it right off the bat. I sure did. I definitely knew when I was supposed to talk. You were super on cue. That was my bad. (laughs) Welcome to Horrorwood. Under the weather. He really wanted to be here for this episode. He actually, it was going to re- originally be his episode, another one that he's prepping, but he told me last week, he was like, I'm not feeling great. So I was like, don't worry about it. I will throw an episode that was going to be on the Patreon and make it the regular episode. So you're all getting it. <laughs> the masses. And we've got Emily here with us today. Emily Marceau. So thank you for being here. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad to be here. And I'm a huge Kevin Corbett fan. So this works out great. As am I. He's pretty great. <laughs> Truly. You've heard Emily before if you listened to our Christina Grimmie episode because she co-hosted on that So welcome back. Thank you so much. Right before we started this, you said, oh, I have another sad one for you. So I continue to hold out hope you will bring me a comedic murder. One of these days, I'm going to bring you a funny, rollicking murder Um, because they happen so often. Today is kind of a sad one. But before we get into that, first and foremost, I need to give my downstairs neighbors a shout out. So Luke and Michael... This is your shout out. Thank you for the avocado turkey burger. It saved my life today. It was delicious. We had a nice little lunch together outside. The dogs played in the yard. I burned up because it's summer and I can't stand the heat. And the UV is at an eight and that is very high. (laughs) This is white girl problems for sure. It truly is. I am the whitest (laughs) as they come. I hate summer. Don't know if you knew that. And uh, yeah, but that burger was delicious. Mm. Also, we have a new Patronian. Uh, Speaking of shout outs, Chelsea Camp. This is your shout out. Chelsea is our newest accomplice. She's in our $2 tier, which means that she can get all of the episodes ad free and she's living her best life. So thank you, Chelsea. And speaking of the Patreon... Uh, as you probably know, if you've heard any episodes in like in the last month, sorry, I just hit my mic cords. So that probably made a huge boo 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 boo. <laughs> we are doing a fall gift package, and the way to sign up for that is if you join our Misfit Murder Reno tier by September first, and then I'm gonna have all the stuff ready. I'll get all the names that come in by September first, and I'm gonna start sending those out in October, the best month of the year. Because currently we're in July, which is pre-pre-pre-spooky season, pre-pre-pre-October, but spooky season is right around the corner. Always right around the corner, baby. It really is. Uh, speaking of spooky things, the Long Island serial killer, we're just going to touch on that for a second because it's not like Hollywood related, but you've probably heard about it in the news this past weekend. They've been looking for this guy for 13 years oh my god and they haven't attributed all of the murders to him yet Uh, i believe there are at least 11 but they have gotten three that they attribute to him working on a fourth one all i'm gonna say is pizza saved the day (gasps) 
Oh my gosh, you have given me a series of teases about this. I know nothing about the Long Island Killer. Did they catch him? They Yeah, they've got him. Oh my gosh, okay. Because of a pizza crust left in a pizza box, left in a garbage can, with DNA on it. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> Science is amazing. It really is. Uh, so I'm not going to go too far into that, but like that's kind of a huge story in the true crime world right now. What I do want to touch on, and if this is going to bore anyone fast forward like a minute but I do want to touch on the actors and writers strike that is currently happening because we talk about a lot of Hollywood cases that's kind of what our whole thing is about and to clear a few things up I guess even if you're not in that industry if you're not an actor or writer or whatever you should be paying attention to this strike because there are some pretty scary things that producers, studios, the people with all the money are trying to do so that they don't have to pay their workers very much. So the biggest one is, in in my opinion, AI. So what studios, what producers, in an attempt to save money want to do is scan the image of every actor Every person who works as an extra, like you just sign up to work as an extra, they want to scan your image, scan your emotions, and then own that in perpetuity without having to pay you compensation. And they will use that to whatever means they want. That's terrifying. Yeah. If they can do that, because it's already happened. They're already using this on set where they are scanning actors' images Without telling them why, without telling them what it's for, you can search online and find like testimonies about this. It's so that they can use those images in other projects, which is so creepy, without having to tell that actor to pay that actor. And if they can do that in the entertainment industry, which is solely based on image and storytelling and creativity and humans creating works that we all enjoy, then they can use that technology in any field. That is terrifying. Absolutely. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that just in terms of because you are mm-hmm. in a working actor. Right. And if you and we can always cut this part too if you're like, yeah, I don't really have anything to say right now. Totally fine. Yeah. But it scares the crap out of me. Yeah, I mean, it's something as a SAG-AFTRA member, as someone who is an actor in this union and is currently striking, um, it's something that I think a lot about. I I think that actors are considered the most disposable part of any production, mm-hmm. even though, you know, the things that they do are so crucial to making any kind of entertainment. Yeah. Um, and... We're seeing AI incursions on a lot of different industries so that you're right. Even if you're not an actor, the fact that the things that make us human are so easy to disregard mm-hmm. um, through AI, the the more that that happens, the more it will affect everyone. There's a great episode of, do you watch Black Mirror? I don't. Oh my God, Emily. I okay. know. I can't handle that much tech like sadness. I get scared. It is It is really scary. Like actually. literally, I can't do it. There is an episode, the first episode of the sixth season, which is the current season. It's called Joan is Awful. If you have Netflix... Just go watch that episode. 
because it kind of touches on this very thing. Wow. We're seeing it happen and it's terrifying. And I think, you know, people who aren't in the industry or that connected to it think, oh, you know, the actors, they're millionaires and they right. don't need more money. Less than 1% of union actors make over a million dollars. Right. I think the statistic is less than 87% Mm -hmm. or 80, no, I'm sorry, 87% of union actors don't even make enough money for health insurance. And that's $26,000. So annually, 87% of union members do not make the requirement for health insurance, which is nothing it's so low and I think because I know I had this this misinterpret or misconception when I was first starting out like in my 20s I was like oh actors make a bunch of money if you're on tv you probably made thousands of dollars for the episode right no you you probably made hundreds like your day rate yeah and that's probably the only thing you're going to book for at least a few months yes you're going to go on a ton of auditions you're going to spend a lot of money on audition clothes and Mm -hmm. gas and train fair or whatever you do to get to your auditions but you're probably not going to book maybe you know a couple things a year right so you're bartending you're waiting tables you are you're babysitting you're dog walking and I don't think people understand what it entails to actually be an actor absolutely and I mean the same for writers I'm speaking to actors because I'm sitting here with an actor it's just it's not what you see on tv it's that's not it at all I can sit and watch the bear and see all of these Chicago actors Mm -hmm. but know for a fact like okay and you're teaching monologue class tomorrow night and you're gonna be working at the restaurant on Thursday that's the reality absolutely it's just people trying to make health insurance yes which your health insurance should not be tied to your job hashtag universal health care I've said it before anywho (laughs) I just wanted to touch on that because I think we all need to be paying attention. It's people with millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to make even more by refusing to pay their workers their rightful wage. Absolutely. And AI is terrifying. Absolutely. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) Now I'm off of my little soapbox. Today we are talking about an actress who was definitely a working actor. She did it all. Her name was Lyric Marie Benson. Not to be confused with another actress named Lyric Benson, who is the daughter of actor Robbie Benson. Hmm. Not only do the two women have the same name, but they were born only a couple of years apart. And when this story first came out in 2003, there was a lot of confusion because people thought it was the other Lyric, Robbie Benson's daughter. So the Lyric we're talking about is the daughter of Deborah and Terry Benson, both of them teachers. Lyric A little blonde-haired, blue-eyed cutie was born on September 20th, 1980, just after midnight at Suburban Hospital in Overland Park, Kansas. Her parents had previously visited the Lyric Opera in Kansas City, Missouri, and that's where they got the inspiration for her name. Very cute. (laughs) That is so cute. When Lyric was four, her parents divorced, and Lyric moved with her mom to a house nearby, So Terry was still able to see Lyric every week and said that overall she seemed to handle the divorce pretty well. She was pretty resilient. And I think it helped that they lived so close to each other. Totally. As a child, Lyric was one of those kids who just seemed to take the world by storm. She loved learning and reading. She was able to read by the time she was just two years old. And according to her dad, she always had several books with her. 
She found a love of performing at age six. Her dad used to throw what he called deck parties or lip syncing parties. Okay. He'd invite a bunch of friends over and everyone would hang out on the deck and eat and lip sync. And at these lip syncing parties, it was almost like a contest. Like you could choose your song or songs that you wanted to perform and everyone would participate. And I think the only reason they didn't actually sing is because Terry couldn't sing. So he was like, <gasps> let's just have everyone lip sync. That's what we'll do. Oh my God. I, we, a relatable king. Honestly, to be able to be like, how can I do karaoke without anyone having to hear me sing? I crushed yes. it. RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. But on my deck. And Lyric did three songs at the first party, instantly was the star of the show. Soon after, she learned to sing for real and also learned how to play the piano and violin. So this is a really talented kid. Starting at age seven, she got into sports. She played basketball, soccer, volleyball, softball, and ran track. Okay, see, I'm mad at Lyric at this point because, you know, I kind of think like humans are like Sims. You get a certain number of points. You get to be good at certain things. And that's it. Lyric, (laughs) that's too many sports. Too many good things. Come on. She continued sports all through high school. And by the time she was in sixth grade, she decided she was going to an Ivy League school. Of course. Like, it wasn't a question. It wasn't like, ooh, I hope I get in. She was like, no, I think I'll go to an Ivy League school. That's what I'll do. Classic. She was also pretty religious. She had a strong Christian faith. And when she was 11, she read the entire Bible cover to cover. Oh, my God. And then went to her mom and she said, you know what? Seems pretty logical. Wow. That Bible. Dang. (laughs) Not only able to read whole Bible, but able to analyze the thoughts within it and be like, yep, this checks out. Yeah, that tracks for me. That feels right. Christianity was something that remained important to her throughout her life. Then in 1992, when Lyric was 12, her mom got a teaching job in Morocco. So Lyric moved to Morocco, where they lived for the next five years. Her mom was a teacher at the Casablanca American School, and so that's where Lyric was a student. In Morocco, Lyric immersed herself in the culture. She learned to speak not just French, but also Arabic, and she participated in everything the school and community had to offer. She did sports. She acted in numerous theater productions. She was always the lead. She also became interested in industrial design. Oh my gosh. So much so that she was planning on making a career out of that. During her junior year, she interned for an architect in Casablanca. And this actually made her realize maybe she didn't want to do industrial design (laughs) after all. She found performing to be way more fun. Mm. And she was a great actress. Ann Osman, who was the school's director, said that everybody was telling Lyric, uh, you're like really talented and really good. You should probably give an acting career a try. Mm. Ann described Lyric as a brilliant student. So it came as a shock to no one that she graduated valedictorian of her class. Oh, my God. She delivered her speech in English, French, and Arabic. So, Okay. <laughs> You have some feelings about that. Yo, this, I I wish I was a bigger person, but when I was this age, I would have hated lyrics so much. Like, my mom would have been like, why can't you be more like the trilingual, multi-varsity athlete valedictorian yes. who is beautiful, beloved by her community, and a great actor? I would have had her picture in my closet as, like, fuel to get me through my youth. And that's actually something that a friend of hers commented on. They said, you really wanted to despise her because who is that amazing 
but it was impossible because she was so charming. Like you wanted to hate her, but you couldn't. You just loved her instead. Damn, I'm team Lyric. Let's go. Yeah. After graduation, she and her mom moved back to the United States. Lyric had been accepted into two Ivy League schools and ended up choosing Yale, where she majored in theater studies. It wasn't long before it seemed everyone on campus knew who Lyric Benson was. She had that effect. Kathleen Robbins, who was the same year at Yale as Lyric, met her on the first day of school and said, I felt like a real schlump next to her because I had just gotten out of driving a U-Haul all day and she was beautiful. She was just this person who you looked at when you came into the room. She just filled it up and made it glow. Lyric was one of those people who could talk to anyone. She liked getting to know people. She liked to make them laugh. She knew how to bring out the best in people. She also had a really distinct voice. It was kind of raspy and smoky. That was sort of her signature. And it was her voice that initially made her so memorable to Robert Ambrosino, who liked to call himself Fast Bobby. No comment. <laughs> uh, I, I am suspicious of Fast Bobby's whole thing. You should be. Okay. During her sophomore year, Lyric called into the radio station KC 101 FM in New Haven to request a song. Bobby Ambrosino, who worked there, answered the call. Lyric was like, hi, my name is Lyric, and I just want to apologize for the song I'm about to request because it's super cheesy, but could you play Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Vega? <laughs> she had such a unique name and distinct voice that when he was at a bar the following summer, he immediately recognized the girl serving him drinks was the same one that had called the station a few months prior. Lyric and Bobby hit it off and began dating. Lyric, no. On the surface, they didn't seem like a likely match. Lyric was this very charming, warm, intelligent, ethereal beauty. And Bobby was a piece of shit (laughs) and called himself Fast Bobby. Oh, my God. He always wore suits. He put his long hair back in a ponytail. Just want to, like, paint this picture for you. I see him. I see him. He was kind of short compared to Lyric. And he described himself as having... A face like a catcher's mitt. But I never read anyone else describe him that way. I've seen a photo of him. He's not unattractive. I was going to say, Kate, one to ten, where we, where would, would, would smash? No. Would smash? As in like, would, oh, (laughs) you know what? In my brain, I read that as number one, one word, Uh like W-O-O-D. And I was like. Is that like Woodstock, but for something else? No, I'm I'm asking if you would, okay, on a scale of one to this man repulses me, face like a catcher's mitt, and ten, I don't know, Henry Cavill, where are you putting him on your scale of, of bangability? Well, if we're going by looks alone, uh-huh. a three. Oh, shit, that's so low. But that's just me. Okay, okay. If we're going by all of his other qualities... Mm-hmm. A negative 472. (laughs) Amazing. He was 11 years older than Lyric. She was about 18 or 19 when they met, and he was around 30. So it felt a little off. But as a friend of Lyric said, she was so worldly that it would seem weird if she dated someone her age. Like, that would feel too young, which I could see that. Bobby was from a town called Mayfield in upstate New York, He graduated from college in 1992 and reportedly was a merchant mariner at one point. Merchant mariners helped transport goods by sea into and out of the U.S. Hmm. 
1999, he passed his firefighter test and was on the wait list to get a job working for the fire department of New York, which is actually a lot harder than I thought. Really? I looked it up. And there are a lot of requirements and testing you have to go through. And then there's like a whole waiting period. Oh, damn. I thought you could just say, hey, I want to be a firefighter. Yeah. And they'd be like, here's your uniform. Yeah. Here's your hose. I kind of thought that too. I kind of thought like maybe we needed firefighters and it was kind of like. That's what I thought. Like they were trying trying to recruit. recruit. Yeah, exactly. No, not the case. Damn. His friends described him as romantic and gallant. He absolutely doted on Lyric and would go out of his way to charm her friends, always complimenting them. He'd often pick up the tab when they were all out together. And compared to Lyric's teenage schoolmates, who were full of angst and, you know, late teens, and you know how it is at that age, Bobby seemed simple. So given all that, I can see how Lyric was attracted to him. I think you're being very kind. I think if we were Lyric's friends, we would be talking every fucking brunch about the walking collection of red flags that someone named Fast Bobby was with our beautiful (laughs) blonde friend. This short-ass, ponytailed, wannabe firefighter, 11 years older than her. I think we would all be like, okay, how do we get, how do we support Lyric through this, like, clearly, like, inappropriate match? She's going through something. Walking collection of red flags. Literally, what the fuck? I would be texting like our good mutual friend Jennifer, being like, Jennifer, baby, how do we fix this? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The weird thing is that in New Haven, Bobby was pretty popular. Oh, no. Caroline Duncan, who had known Lyric since freshman year and roomed with her at one point, said of Bobby, he was charming. He was older. He had an air of maturity. She didn't really get the two of them together, but she's like, well, she seems happy and he seems fine. So, you know, it wasn't long before Lyric and Bobby were living together in a house with some friends and they were pretty well known around New Haven. For one thing, Yale is New Haven. Like, that's the main thing there. And everyone at Yale knew Lyric or at least knew who she was. And Bobby was described as, quote, the king of the scene in New Haven. Everyone knew him. He was the guy that wore suits and a ponytail and always picked up the tab. And everyone knew them as a couple. But there were some things about Bobby that people didn't know. Not even his friends. Like what he did for a living. How he could afford to drink only top shelf whiskey and pay for everyone's tabs and wear nice suits. Fast Bobby always seemed to skirt around the issue when people would ask what he did. But he would drop little hints here and there that he worked for the CIA. And the outgoing message on his voicemail said, I can't even say this with a straight face. Leave a message, but remember, this is not a secure line. Oh, my God. PSA. Anyone who says they work for the CIA doesn't work for the CIA. Especially if they call themselves fast Bobby. <laughs> okay, can I just Oh shit, I just hit the water with my foot. Can I make a prediction here about sure. Fast Bobby's career? Please do. So, we're in Connecticut. I have to assume this man is a drug dealer. I have to assume he works in import exports and I have to assume he is addicted to cocaine. These are my three hypotheses about Fast Bobby. I don't know if I'm correct, but this is the vibe this man is giving me. Okay. All I can say is whoa. (laughs) Bobby would leave for weeks at a time and Lyric wouldn't be able to reach him. 
and then he would come back super tan, which <gasps> my first thought was, well, perhaps he was still working as a merchant mariner, in which case he, he would be gone for weeks because you have long stretches of time. He'd be out on a ship. But then why wouldn't he just say that? A friend of lyrics at Yale, Lisa Weiser, said the mystery probably added to his appeal. He probably seemed far more interesting to lyric than the guys at school, which, I mean, yeah, he probably did. Definitely. And at Yale, Lyric was thriving. She was a star. She totally immersed herself in theater there, performing in musicals and plays. She impressed not just other students, but also her teachers. I just have to read this quote from one of her teachers. This is from Deb Margolin, who taught Introduction to Performance. Okay. She's talking about the first day of class when she first met Lyric. She says, and this is kind of a long quote, but like, whoa. She says, she showed up. Showed up doesn't do justice to what she does when she enters a room. Lyric comes sashaying into this room. The thing about Lyric entering a room is it felt like things fell off of her when she walked in a room. It made a noise, like marbles falling out of a box that's broken. She comes into the room. Her beauty splashes all over the place. She has that husky voice and she laughs in this deciduous, spreading, colorful kind of way. And so she makes this entrance. I took one look at this girl and I thought, whoa, Nellie. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. People just liked being around her. One student who was in a show with her said that if Lyric had to miss rehearsal one day for whatever reason, then she would be bored because Lyric was the one who could engage everyone and who always made everyone laugh. During her senior year, Brendan Hughes, a directing major at the graduate school, was directing a comedy about Jackie Onassis called Jackie in American Life. Two weeks before the play opened, he still didn't have a Jackie. So he calls up another MFA student in the drama department, Adam O'Byrne, and asked him if he knew any undergrad actresses who were glamorous. Adam gave Brendan Lyric's number and said, she will be the most glamorous person you have ever met. Oh my God. So Brendan calls up Lyric and is like, uh, do you want to audition to play Jackie O? And she was super excited. She's like, hell yeah. So she shows up at the audition wearing a high neck silk skirt, or sorry, silk shirt and rhinestones looked amazing and Brendan in addition to directing was also going to be playing JFK so he read a scene with her to see if it was a good match he said he couldn't get through the scene because he was laughing so hard she had incredible comedic timing brilliant delivery and so of course she was cast literally the entire school talked about her performance even computer majors who had nothing to do with the drama department were talking about it they were like did you see that girl that played jackie o lyric even walked around campus for days dressed all in white wearing the big jackie o sunglasses she called everyone darling which she could pull off because you know some people if they did that in college you'd be like okay they just need attention or whatever but Lyric did not seek, seek attention. It found her. Oh, man. Honestly, it's... Do you think she got bored of life just being like, well, everything's on easy mode for me? It literally reads like my teenage journal dream. <laughs> like, this is what I <laughs> this want This is, like, in be? my wildest dreams, the computer majors talk about my acting performances. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that is truly 
that is a fantasy. It feels like she's living a fantasy life. I don't think that it was that she was bored of life. I think that she was curious of life mm. and loved it so much and she truly liked people yeah. see that's where she and I differ well <laughs> we differ on pretty much every level but she loved learning about people mm-hmm. and I think part of that is just she got her education by traveling yeah which is such a you know if you have the means like that is the best education you can give yourself right so she just was truly interested in like where people came from and what they were all about and It made people like her. Yeah. Wow. Towards the end of her senior year, she had to choose a senior stage project. She asked her professor, Joseph Roach, for advice. She said, I want a piece that'll stretch me that isn't something I would normally be cast as out in the real world. So he gave her a bunch of options, and she chose the one that was probably the most outrageous, like the furthest from who she was as a person. It was Miss Margarita's Way. It's a one-woman show. And the character is an angry, bitter, violent, middle-aged teacher who is losing her mind in front of her classroom. Oh, my gosh. It's a comedy. Sure. (laughs) And Lyric nailed it. Once again, everyone's talking about her. She knew that after she graduated, she wanted to move to New York. So while still in her senior year, she visited New York to look for an agent and to go ahead and get a New York number. Like, she wanted to have everything lined up for her. Mm And she got a theatrical agent right away. Classic. So she's just checking off all those boxes. Easy. Yeah, no big deal. Super easy to get an agent. Get your New York agent, check. (laughs) Get your New York number, check. What's the difference? Then one day towards the end of the school year, Bobby took Lyric to the movies. They were showing E.T. Side note. So a few years ago, the music box here was playing Mm E.T. And I was like, Kevin, let's go see it. Uh And so we go, and I was like, before we go in, let's go to CVS. We'll just pop in. I, You know, we can get our Reese's Pieces. Sure. Because you have to eat Reese's Pieces while you're like watching E.T. E. Yeah. So we go in there, and I get my box of Reese's Pieces, and I'm like, aren't you going to get a box? And he's like, no, I'm good. And I was like, I, I, that face right there, that's what I did. I was like, you're good. Yeah, okay. what are you saying? I was like, whatever. And so I go, and I pay for my candy, and we're walking towards the theater, and I'm like, I can't believe... You didn't want Reese's Pieces for the movie. He's like, why would I want Reese's Pieces for the movie? Like, what's the big deal? And I went, wait a second. Have you never seen E.T.? Oh, no. And he was like, no. Oh. I couldn't believe. But I'm glad that his first viewing was in a movie theater. And then I got to be there. I will say, I have a random E.T. fact, which is... They used Reese's Pieces because they wanted to use M&M's, but M&M wouldn't give them the rights because they thought E.T. looked like too creepy. They were like, no. And so they used Reese's Pieces instead, and Reese's Pieces sales went up by double-digit percentages yeah, they after did. the film. It was like a huge sales bump. Reese's Pieces are way better than M&M's. And now the world knows because now of E.T. Yes, Reese's Pieces. If you want to sponsor us, we're here. <laughs> So Lyric and Bobby are at the theater and he tells her, hey, someone we know is going to be in one of these ads before the previews. Like, make sure you pay attention because like a friend of theirs. So they're watching all the things that play before the movie, the cell phone warnings, all the movie trivia, movie trivia, (laughs) the movie trivia. And then an image pops up on the screen that read Lyric Benson. I love you. Will you marry me? Oh, my God. No, Lyric. No. And she said, yes. And she was ecstatic. She was so happy. 
And then his next surprise was to take her to a celebratory dinner for which he had flown in her mom and her stepdad from North Carolina. Presumably her dad, too, which is this article didn't happen to mention that. But I would think he would be there, too. Sure. And Bobby also had his parents come up. And based on the pictures from that night, she was so happy. She's laughing and crying and smiling. The two were really excited. How old is she? She would have been uh, 21 okay. or 20. Sure, She was born in September, so she would have been 21. Okay. Yeah. After Lyric's graduation in May of 2022, they moved into an apartment in the Greenpoint neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. And Lyric quickly got to work pounding the pavement to try and get auditions. She'd already scored a theatrical agent, which that alone is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. But she didn't start booking jobs right out of the gate. She was out of work for that entire summer. So she's basically just sitting at home with Bobby. She's in a new city. She didn't know a ton of people. But she did find a church that she liked, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Her religion was really important to her. So I think she started to feel a little bit more settled in once she found that church. Mm -hmm. Despite not booking any acting gigs right away, Jerry Hogan, her theatrical agent, knew she was something special. He called up commercial agent Michael Raymond and said, you got to meet this girl that just graduated from Yale. So Michael meets with her, is instantly impressed, Mm -hmm. OBS, brings her back in to meet the rest of the commercial department as well as the voiceover department because he thought her voice was amazing. Right. They all loved her and signed her on the spot. Unless you were in the industry, I don't think you realize how unusual and how impressive that is. She signed with Don Buckwald and Associates. So that's a big agency straight out of college. There are people who work years trying to land even one agent. Mm -hmm. So she had theatrical, which is theater, television, and film, commercial, and voiceover. Just like that. Check those boxes, baby. And her agents told her, you will be able to work the rest of your life doing voiceovers. Like, If all else fails, if by some (laughs) weird chance you do not become a huge superstar, you will always have a job in voiceover. Incredible. She was like, cool, cool, cool. That's great. But like, (laughs) I need to start earning money yesterday. Yeah. So she turned to an actor friend of hers, Chelsea Lagos. Chelsea was a few years older than Lyric. She was in her mid-20s. So she'd kind of been on the scene for a while. Mm -hmm. And Chelsea was able to help Lyric get a job as a hostess at Balthazar. Balthazar is a trendy restaurant in Soho. A lot of celebrities go there, lots of VIPs. So now she could start making her own money. And according to her boss, Lyric could charm even the crankiest of VIPs. She was impeccable. Mm. So it sounds like she was the perfect person for that job. Seriously. And she was meeting famous actors and rock stars at the restaurant. She's making new friends. And in Chelsea's words, this was the beginning of the end of Lyric's relationship with Bobby. Mm. Whereas in New Haven, Bobby was king of the scene, Lyric's New York friends were not impressed by him. Thank God. Okay, we got Lyric some new friends who are going to talk to her about this, not just in the group chat. Thank Christ. Okay. Yes. Phew. There seemed to be two different Bobby Ambrosinos. There was the romantic, gallant Bobby who picked up the tab, and then there was the Bobby who tried to act like he was in the CIA, who never had a real answer when someone asked him what he did for a living. The Bobby that, for reasons no one could figure out, carried a gun. The Bobby that had been arrested for quote-unquote criminal mischief back in his hometown in 1989 
and arrested again on a weapons charge in 1993. The Bobby that many said was known to sell the drug ecstasy. Oh, shoot. I was so close. Uh, you're still very close. Okay. People said he also passed around pictures of himself dressed in army fatigues and carrying a gun. But I have found no evidence that he ever served in the military. I looked mm. through records. His name did not appear anywhere. Mm. He was a merchant mariner, but that's not part of the Marines. Merchant mariners are civilians who apply with the Coast Guard. It's not a branch of the military. Mm-hmm. Now, according to friends that had shared a house with Lyric and Bobby while she was still at Yale, they say he did not sell drugs. They dispute the reports that he was dealing ecstasy. They said he was an odd guy, but never scary or abusive or anything like that. Chelsea said that he did come on really strong to try to win people over. When Chelsea and her fiancé, Chris Campion, had to move, Bobby was like, oh, I'll help you. It was a fifth floor walk up in New York. You must be really trying to get into someone's good graces if you jump at the chance to help them move from a fifth floor walk up. That is insane. Even if it were the ground floor, I don't know anyone who's going to be like, yeah, I'll help. No, I'm not. I, I love my friends dearly, but they have to ask me point blank to help them move. Like, I'm who not just, volunteering. Who, yeah, who just volunteers? No, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. Chris was in a band. Bobby went to pretty much every single performance. If Chelsea and Chris introduced him to friends of theirs, it wasn't long before Bobby was calling those friends wanting to hang out, like always acting super charming, wanting to win them over. But Chris said when it was just guys around, Bobby acted differently. He'd point to his boot, indicating he had a gun, and say, I've got it covered if something goes wrong. <sighs> and they'd be like, dude, we're at a TGI Fridays. Like, what do you think <laughs> is going to go wrong? We have enough breadsticks. We're okay. Yeah. Lyric confided in Chelsea that she was having her doubts about her relationship with Bobby. Wait, okay. Is she married at this point or are they just affianced? Lyric and Bobby? Yeah. They're just engaged at this point. Okay, amazing. We can still break this off. We can still save this. Yep. Okay. One thing that really bothered her is that he would make fun of her for listening to Christian music. It's like, dude, that's something important to her that she enjoys. This is your fiance. You don't have to listen to the music, but... You should be supportive and yes. loving that she does. Also, don't make fun of someone's faith. Also, you're a piece of shit, and I can't wait for your downfall. Okay, keep going. Oh, it's coming. I lost my play. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, okay. I hate this man so much. I hated him from the first. I feel very smart. Well, and I feel smart because you get to tell me that Fast Bobby is evil. Seed him in from the beginning. But, like, I'm like, oh, you motherfucker. I can't wait till we get to New York and everybody's like, you're a piece of shit. I found my place. Thank you for that, for vamping there. Oh, happy to vamp about how much I hate Fast Bobby if you ever need a second. I've got a lot of feelings. He also took aim at the fact that she was getting really involved in her church. And he definitely did not support her attending every week. Meanwhile, he's not really doing anything with his life he's just waiting around for his name to come up to join the fire department lyric on the other hand was going out on auditions making new friends at work making new friends at church and she felt like she was beginning to outgrow the relationship so she tried to break off the engagement her main complaint being that he didn't support her religious views Well, Fast Bobby begged, he pleaded, he protested, saying, please give me a chance. I can change, please. He said, I tell you what, I'll start going to church with you. It's important to you and I should be more supportive. And so she agreed. She was like, okay, let's work on this. 
and he did start going to church with her, and people said she seemed happier. In addition to her job at Balthazar, she also got hired at bar mitzvahs, where she her whole goal was to get the kids to dance and have fun. She'd also make them unicorn cupcakes with what she called fairy dust filling. So she was just there to like literally get the, get the party started. She's a ringer. She's a bar mitzvah ringer. <laughs> Incredible. Then after a summer of not booking any acting work, things started to click. Lyric booked a couple of voiceover gigs for commercials, including Maybelline. Oh my God. Which is pretty big. And then she booked a small role in an episode of All My Children. They told her she'd have to provide her own wardrobe. See, that's another thing. I don't think people realize how often that happens. Yes. Like, actors have to provide a lot of their own shit. It's yes. like crazy. So she was like, ah, because this was her TV debut. She wanted to look great. And she decided she was going to go out and buy a brand new sweater for the part. But she hadn't been in the city long. She didn't know where the trendy places to shop were. So she asked her friend Chelsea for help. And Chelsea was like, okay, what do you want to look like? And they talked it over. They broke down her character. And I mean, literally, I think she has like two lines. Incredible. And Chelsea said, okay, here's where to go. So Lyric went and picked out this pink fuzzy turtleneck sweater for her big debut. I'll try and post a picture. It's from a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty grainy, but she looks so pretty. When the segment aired, she and Bobby threw a tea party for some friends and had a little viewing party. And Bobby walked into the room wearing a t-shirt he'd had made that had Lyric airbrushed across the front and then a photo of her accepting an Oscar. Oh, He seemed really happy for her success. Seemed being the keyword there. <sighs> the more work she booked, the more confident Lyric became. And the more confident she became, the more work she booked. Mm. Right after All My Children, she booked a role on the Dave Chappelle show on Comedy Central. She booked more commercials, modeling jobs. And then she booked a huge ad campaign. American Express was sponsoring the Tribeca Film Festival. And they wanted an ad that showed a working actor in a day job, specifically waiting tables, which wasn't far from Lyric's actual day job. The slogan for the campaign was American Express, the official card of working actors. So photographer Peter Rad and the creative team cast several girls for the role. They wanted to shoot with all of them and then from that pick a main character mm -hmm. well none of them could hold a candle to lyric she stood out above everyone and became the face of this ad it first ran in new york magazine and soon it was on posters and billboards all over new york city it was a big deal and she was getting recognized from it mm -hmm. well whereas bobby had previously been so happy for all her success now she was getting too successful she was becoming too independent. She was making new friends, making her own money. She was out of the house a lot more. She was going places. And he wasn't. So he started doing what abusers do. He starts to undermine her, begins teasing her more and more, trying to pick away at her confidence. And she decided this was not the kind of relationship she wanted to be in. She told her friend Lisa... I shouldn't be feeling this at 22. I should be happier. I never felt like a weak, clumsy little girl. I always felt like a strong woman. She knew it was time to end things. But she'd already tried to break things off before and that hadn't worked out. He pleaded for her to stay with him and she didn't want to hurt him. So she was really concerned about his feelings. So this time around, it's February of 2003 now. She told him that it didn't feel right to be living together since they weren't married yet. And she felt it best if she moved out. 
she ended up getting an apartment not too far from Balthazar so she could be closer to where she worked. On the surface, it was an amicable split. Their landlord, Ron Hansen, said he'd always known them to be extremely happy all the time, very cordial. He said they'd always appeared to be a loving couple. He never heard them fight. And even when she was moving her stuff out, there was no drama or anything. And that's what a lot of their neighbors and former roommates said. Like, Mm -mm. they didn't fight. They They were a loving couple. Yeah. Shortly after she moved out, she officially ended the relationship. She was worried about him because she never wanted to hurt him. But she knew he simply was not the guy for her. She's 22, too. I'm like, yep. Queen, we have a lot of life in front of exactly. us. Exactly. We can fix this. This does not, this can be, you know, yeah, being 18 and yep. falling in love, great experience. Being 22 and breaking it off with a man who's not worthy of you, incredible. Yes. There, there are a lot more people out there. Mm-hmm. And she had everything in front of her. Right. The next month in March, she was headed into a commercial audition and ran into a friend of hers from Yale who was also auditioning. So they start talking and Lyric tells her she broke up with Fast Bobby and her friend was so excited for her. (laughs) And it was just like, yay, you could have friends again. Oh my God. And it was clear that Lyric was not upset at all about the relationship ending. That was not the case for Bobby, however. He was so concerned with how people saw him after the breakup He told everyone that he was fine. It was Lyric they needed to worry about, that she was just so upset. Meanwhile, he's out partying hard, showing up to places with different women. He even showed up to Balthazar one night with some woman, but Lyric happened to not be working that night. He cut his hair really short, so he got rid of that ponytail. Okay, well, that's one red flag down. His friend Christine Baker, who was the one who cut his hair, said he definitely did not seem like a person who was mourning or really distraught. And he told Christine, quote, I really love Lyric, but she's really young. She's only 22, almost as if she were a sister. Like he's trying to make it seem like he was the one who ended it. Sure. He told his friend that Lyric was really upset that he was seeing other women. No, she wasn't. (laughs) Also, she's smart enough to see through all of that. Also, she's 22 and according to every single onlooker, the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. Like, good luck. She stayed focused on her career, even writing out a list of goals, which included treat every acting job as if it were the one and move on. Like, give it your all, make the most of it, but don't dwell on it. The next television role she booked was on Law & Order Criminal Intent. She played a waitress who helps the main characters try and track down a woman's killer. And this was her biggest television role yet. She had more lines than her previous roles. Her scene opened the entire episode. She taped her scene on April 2nd, but sadly, she would not live long enough to see it air. Bobby called Lyric constantly after the breakup. And at first, Lyric would answer and talk to him. She wanted to make sure he was doing okay. But she realized talking to him was only giving him hope, so she stopped taking his calls. Lyric's friend Kate Edwards, who was the maitre d' at Balthazar, said... He wouldn't leave her alone. He wouldn't stop calling her. He'd call her at work up to seven times in a row. It was a real strain. He would leave countless messages on her cell phone. And a friend of hers said that he even hacked into her phone and deleted a bunch of messages. He then started showing up at Balthazar right at closing time so that she wouldn't be able to use work as an excuse just to try and force her to talk to him. He contacted her friend Lisa and told her to tell everyone that he was fine. (laughs) 
Fast Bobby is doing a-okay. Fast Bobby needs to do some deep breathing meditation. He was obsessed with what people thought of him. He also started hanging out with a guy who did not want to give his name in this article I read. The guy was a 23-year-old bartender and aspiring actor. The fact that Bobby seemed to only hang out with people like a decade younger than him, that's that's part of the collection Predator. of red flags. Red flag. According to this guy, this unnamed guy, the two of them drank a lot, partied a lot, did cocaine. Yeah, There it is. And had agreed to move in together. Bobby had asked him to be his roommate when he got a new apartment in Soho near Balthazar. Meanwhile, Lyric starts getting the feeling that she's being followed. Oh, my God. In mid-April, mutual friends of theirs that had known Bobby when he lived in New Haven told Lyric that his girlfriend before her had had similar problems And she'd actually gotten a restraining order against him in May of 2000, which was right before he started dating Lyric. Lyric was actually relieved to hear this because she was like, okay, it's not me then. Like, these are his issues that he's been dealing with. I didn't cause this behavior, which Mm -hmm. you never did. Like anyone in this kind of relationship, it's never you. It's not you. It's this horrible. Yeah. So she decided that even though he was making her nervous and she felt like he was following her, she wasn't going to get a restraining order just yet. She said, I'll give him one more month, see if he cools down and backs off. But it was getting to her. She confided in her pastor and she asked him, what if my life is really in danger? His response, we will all die, but we'll all be with the Lord. Not the right response, Pastor Jim. Okay, great. The the friends in New York, we are team them. We are not team Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim, you done fucked. You done fucked, Pastor Jim. God damn it. The right response would be, let's go to the police. Let me help you. Do you need a place to stay? Literally. Also remember, the pastor knew Bobby because Bobby had been to services with Lyric in the past. So it's it's almost like a student going to a teacher being like, um... Miss Marceau, the kid next to me, I think he might kill me. And the teacher being like, well, people get killed. <laughs> like, that that's exactly what this pastor said. This is just like, I mean, I don't know if every murder is like this, but I'm like, every woman that you have quoted or mentioned in this story has, like, tried to help Lyric. And all of the men are not as evil as Fast Bobby. But I am like, why, why are women's issues not taken seriously in this way? Like, exactly. <laughs> No one realizes how serious it is until it's too late. Right. And I don't know. I mean, this pastor, I don't know if he, I think he truly thought those were supposed to be words of comfort. Right. Rather than like realizing, oh, this is someone in my congregation that I should try to help. It's just, it doesn't, there's a disconnect there. And it is 2003 too. I'm just imagining. I just, this is such a, this is such a familiar story. Of a woman yep. who is being made to feel uncomfortable and her alone having to decide, am I in danger or do I just need to tolerate it? Exactly. And the, the, the fact of the matter is it should be neither. And yet right. she has to make this decision. And unfortunately, this is pretty much almost every case that we talk about where yeah. there is a woman in danger. Right. So needless to say, after this conversation with her pastor, Lyric wasn't really feeling much better about the situation. So she calls up her mom, who she was really close to, and she Mm -hmm. was like, would you just mind coming to New York and hanging with me a few days? Like, Mm -hmm. she just needed her mom. Yeah. 
So Deborah flew up from North Carolina and stayed with Lyric at her little rundown apartment, and they just hung out and had some quality mother-daughter time. On Saturday, April 19th, Lyric, her mom, and her friend Paloma were walking along Lower Broadway, and above them was the billboard with the American Express ad, and they all just stopped and stared up at it and just giggled. It was one of those moments like, ah, like it's happening, my face is on a billboard, what? I'm really glad they had that moment. I'm glad her mom could see that billboard in person. Lyric also brought her mom to church with her. Her mom was also very religious, and Lyric was excited to show her this church that she had found, despite Pastor Jim, (laughs) the Brooklyn Tabernacle. But while they were there, guess who shows up? No! Lyric and her mom did not acknowledge Bobby. They just kind of brushed past him. Lyric felt like no communication would be the best solution here, so they just needed some space. On Thursday, April 24th, Lyric had to work late at the restaurant, so she was working until closing. So her mom met her there that evening just to have dessert with her while she was on a break. Then Deborah returned to Lyric's apartment while Lyric finished her shift. And she'd given her mom her set of keys so that Deborah could just let herself in and out because Lyric didn't have a spare set. Once she got off work, she took a cab back to her apartment. And in true Lyric form, she's chatting it up with the cab driver, learning his entire life history. They're becoming besties. Sure. It's like a 10-minute ride. Uh-huh. And as she got closer to her home, she called her mom. She was like, hey, I'm almost there. Can you come down and open the door for me? So Lyric lived on the third floor. So it's going to take her mom like a minute to get down all the steps. Mm-hmm. She arrives at her apartment at 211 East Broadway at about 1.15 a.m., gets out of the cab, and tells her new best friend, the cab driver, bless you, as she exits, and then heads towards her front door. Her mom was there in her bathrobe, in her bathrobe, excuse me, waiting to let her in, unaware that Bobby was nearby, also waiting for her to arrive home. As Lyric entered the small vestibule of her building, Bobby came in right after her, held up an unlicensed 45 caliber Starfire pistol and shot Lyric in the face. Oh, my God. Deborah immediately fell to the ground to try and help her daughter, and she screamed out, Someone shot my baby in the eye. A neighbor heard this. Deborah, it happened so fast, like, she didn't even realize at first who it was. Mm-hmm. And she looks up and sees Bobby, who at one point was going to be her son-in-law. And right then, he turned the gun on himself and shot himself in the head. Lyric's neighbor said it had been totally silent before the shots rang out. There was no confrontation, no arguing, nothing. He just walked in and shot her. And her mom had to see all of that happen. Oh my God, poor Deborah. Both were taken to Bellevue Hospital. Lyric was in extremely critical condition, and Bobby was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. He was 33. His obituary stated that he had served in the Marines, which, again, there's no proof of that, and that after that he worked as a DJ at KC 101 radio station. But when authorities contacted the station, an employee who asked not to be named said he was not a DJ. He was an unpaid intern. Hmm. When authorities contacted his family, the woman who answered declined to comment, which makes me think, had he just lied even to his family about what he did? Because... right. According to police, he had been unemployed for at least a year. Hmm. Deborah called her sister, Lyric's aunt, and told her Lyric had been shot and she asked her to come to New York. I believe the aunt was in D.C. at the time. 
So she gets on a train and heads to New York and calls Terry Lyric's dad. Terry got on the first flight out to Kansas, out of Kansas to New York City. And at that point, no one really knew how severe the situation was. She was on life support. They knew it was very serious, obviously. But her family was still holding out hope that she was going to make it. They're making arrangements of who would care for her once she was released. Her aunt was saying, well, it's a good thing I'm not working right now. I can come down and take care of her until she recovers. And Mm -hmm. they're planning what they're going to do as a family. Like, okay, you're going to stay with her the first couple of weeks, and then I'll come down. But soon doctors came in and told the family Lyric was brain dead and she was not going to recover. It was Lyric's wish and her family's wish that her organs be donated. So they had to keep her on life support for a little over a day because there's a whole process the hospital has to go through before they can declare her legally dead and harvest the organs. Mm -hmm. Her family sat with her at her bedside the entire time. Meanwhile, word got out pretty quickly what had happened and the press picked it up surprisingly fast Mm -hmm. it was considered a high profile situation because lyric was the face of american express and she was on all the posters and billboards for the tribeca film festival her face is all over the city reporters were dressing up as hospital workers to try and gain access to her room oh my god to interview the family she is lying brain dead in a (sighs) hospital bed on life support her family there by her side, and they're trying to sneak in to get a statement. That is so ghoulish. It's so fucked up. And then when a member of the family would try to like go outside just to get some fresh air, right? A reporter would come out of the bushes and like lunge at them. Thankfully, the actual hospital staff was very protective and sympathetic toward the family. They did everything to give them privacy and space to grieve. Lyric was officially pronounced dead at 11.30 a.m. on April 25th, 2003. She was 22 years old. Oh, that's so sad. When police examined Bobby's apartment, they found seven or eight handwritten notes that he had written to his family members saying that he loved them, he was sorry, and that his decision to kill Lyric was, quote, not premeditated. Um... Somebody doesn't know what the word premeditated means. Because when you write notes <laughs> stating you're about to kill someone, the mere writing of the note You've done it. is premeditation. You've premeditated. Yeah. Everyone was in disbelief that Lyric was gone. Her Yale professors and classmates, her co-workers at Balthazar, her agents, everyone was shocked. A memorial service was held at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church as well as at Yale. Her dad, Terry, set up a nonprofit organization called Lyric of Life that spreads awareness about organ donation and raises money to provide scholarships for high school seniors with a background in theater. Mm. The family said that what got them through the pain of losing Lyric was knowing that through organ donation, she was able to save multiple lives. The family released the following statement. To honor Lyric's life and spirit, we made the decision to donate her organs and tissue so that others could live. It comforts us, excuse me, it comforts us to know that Lyric's organs have already given five people the gift of life. Her kidneys went to two people. Her heart now beats in someone else's chest. Both her lungs are helping a young adult breathe and her liver saved the life of a young teenager. In addition, her pancreas was donated for islet cell research that will help insulin dependent diabetics make their own insulin. 
Her skin will help burn victims. Her bones may save limbs, provide mobility, and prevent pain. We hope that Lyric's gift will inspire others to consider organ donation. Organ donation is an incredible thing. I encourage everyone to consider it. Absolutely. It's also just, it's really easy to do. You just check a box. Sign. Yeah. I know. Judy Tinser, a, spoke, a spokeswoman for American Express, stated they would pull Lyric's ad from future publications because it was set to run in the New Yorker and like mm-hmm. a bunch of magazines. Mm-hmm. And then after speaking with her agent, they decided the outdoor ads, all the billboards and everything would be left up because Lyric was so excited about her involvement in the ad as was her family, Mm -hmm. so they left those up for the duration of the campaign. Mm. Lyric's final television role, her part on Law & Order Criminal Intent, aired that May, and the episode ended with a tribute to Lyric that read, In Memory of Lyric Benson. Mm. And I will put in our show notes a website that you can go to for more information on organ donation. It's just organdonor.gov. And that is the episode. Oh my gosh. Oh, thank you for being here, Emily. Sorry, it wasn't a funny murder. (laughs) Oh, God damn it. It was a rough one. That's so tough. It's like, it makes me, it makes me be like, uh, just looking at all the pieces laid out, you're like, there were so many people who had an opportunity to help this woman. And it really, at the end of the day, doesn't make a single bit of difference if a man decides with a gun that he wants to end someone's life. That's so scary. Like... Just looking at all these people, I'm like, like, if we had made this, if we, at, you know, I was eight at the time, <laughs> like if I was 13 <laughs> at the time, but I'm like, oh, I wish that, I wish that there were more protections that Lyric could have had, you know? And the thing is, like, what would those have been? I mean, the, yeah. the only thing I can think is he definitely had some mental stuff happening. Yeah. I I wish that those friends who knew about the restraining order had mentioned that to her earlier that could have prevented maybe her ever getting involved with him I don't know I mean we'll never know right but it's like what are you supposed to do like it's not like she can just like move across the country and even if she did he could follow her he was planning to move to her neighborhood right it's just like yeah it's really scary absolutely that that fear of being stalked is so prevalent of being like there are no protections Mm -hmm. and the, the thing it makes me think of is, like, every time I hate one of my friend's boyfriends, I'm like, oh. It, it just gives me pause. I'm like, is this is this man dangerous or do I just not like that he right. has long hair and wants to be a volunteer firefighter? Like, right. where on the scale of danger is this? And the thing is, if he did carry a gun. Right. And, and we don't know how much Lyric knew right. about his background. We don't know if she knew he carried a gun mm-hmm. or if she knew about the drugs or any of that. Right. And... Even if she set up a system where, you know, she always made sure she walked with a friend home at night or whatever, he had a fucking gun. Right. And if he was going to do something, he was going to do something. And that's what's so scary. And I fucking hate guns. I know. And this is that fear, right? Of like, even looking at all of the pieces and being like, oh my gosh, it feels so inevitable. Why didn't anyone do anything to stop it? It's like, at the end of the day, no one can do anything to stop it if we don't have anything other, anything that stops a man being able to get a gun yep. and shoot her in the head. Ugh. So now that we are all depressed, um, you can let us know your thoughts in the comments on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at... 
This is your post. This is my moment. moment. I have it. I have it. At Horrorwood Podcast. You can send us an email at horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com. And if you are liking this podcast, uh, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review us wherever you can review things. Mm. And you could also hop on over to Patreon at patreon.com slash horrorwoodpodcast. And remember, if you sign up as a Misfit Murderino by September 1st, you're going to get a present in October. And that is all I have to say about that. Don't do murder. Mm. Thank you, Emily, for being here. Kevin, I hope you feel better. And that's that. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you.